0: Welcome to the Cover Two with Philip Jordan. Philip and friends break down the latest news in college and professional football every week. So let's get this thing started and snap the football. Hut, hut, hike!
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome into Volume Nine of the Cover Two with Philip Jordan. Thanks for checking out the show and making it a part of your day. I know what you're probably thinking right now: Why in the world? Are you dropping a podcast on a Monday morning? You usually drop them later on in a week. Well, you know, I did two episodes last week, a Tuesday-Thursday deal. Usually what we're going to do here is every Monday, Thursday, is drop a new episode for you guys to enjoy. Many different ways to listen to it. Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, um, SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, and YouTube. Apple uh, Podcasts, you guys know the drill. Subscribe, rate, and review. And if you do leave a review, I will read it on a future Edition of the show. Got a fantastic show for you guys today on Monday. Start the week off good. Uh Candler Cook. He played for the University of Georgia. Uh, he was a walk-on and he has a book coming out tomorrow on Tuesday, March 26th, called From Underdog to Bulldog. It is his journey uh being a walk-on in college football. Tremendous book. I had a great time reading an advanced copy that Candler did give me. I'm going to leave a link in the description here and if you're seeing this on Facebook I will put one in the description there as well uh, where you can find a book and order you a copy uh, let you know where you can do that and Candler tells you in our interview I'm going to play for you guys in a little bit i tell you what you don't have to be a football fan to enjoy this it has a great message to it about going for your dreams pushing and pushing and pushing you know not give up on that just if you have a setback just let that be more motivation to attain your goal because Candler's goal was to Be on the georgia football team and he achieved that goal and his journey to getting that goal is a tremendous part of the book you really feel like you go on that journey with him and uh, when you get to that point in the book uh, you really cheer for him but it's really about that journey and uh, we talk about a lot of stuff from the book but we won't talk about the entire book uh but you guys read, I want you to see some of that stuff uh, that's in there. But we had a good 32, 33 minute conversation. Uh, so you say, wow, you talk that long and there's still stuff in the book I need to read. Really. And I and I, I hate to brag on myself here because this podcast is about Candler Cook and his story. But I really thought this is one of my better interviews, too. So I hope you guys enjoy. it and check it out. On the other side of that, I'm going to talk about this weekend's AAF games. Something I'm going to be doing since so we're doing Monday, Thursday. Back when I first did the sideline review, that's what it was. It was like a only SEC show did it in the SEC season when it first launched. And every Monday I did a recap. And on Thursday I did a preview. So since so we're doing the Monday, Thursday thing, I'm going to do that with the Alliance of American Football. Uh, do that after we come back, after the interview with Candler. And also going to talk about Gronk retiring. Big deal there. Uh, question of the week i went over on the facebook page who is the better coach nick saban or bill belichick interesting answers over there well it's got us enough for me rambling on and on let's get to my conversation with candler cook all right everybody joining me on today's podcast really excited to talk to this person about this fantastic book i got a chance to read uh candler cook yeah he, uh, he- georgia bulldogs walk on defensive end uh he was at georgia and keller correct me if i'm saying this right you were at the university from 2007 to 2011 played on 2010 2011 georgia bulldogs has a book coming out on march 26th called from underdog to bulldog my journey as a college football walk on and keller i really appreciate you taking the, the time out to come on the show come on the podcast and talk about your book
0: well, yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's um, it's an experience that I went through that really meant a lot to me and helped shape who I am. And I think that a lot of sports fans will enjoy reading it and um, be able to learn a lot themselves from it. So I appreciate you having me on.
1: Oh, yeah, and I, I really appreciate you giving me the advanced copy to be able to read the book and um, really enjoyed it. And as I told you off air, you know it kind of hit home with me too because you know big thing your book and i really appreciate you know going after your dreams i think this is a book in my opinion that not just football fans can enjoy but also just you know people looking for inspiration and if they have a dream to follow i think it's a great book for that even if you're not a football or sports fan
0: yeah i agree and that's really what i wanted was one it is a behind the scenes look at sec football so for sports fans there's plenty of that in there. Um, It'll answer a lot of questions about what goes on behind the scenes. But two, it's also a book that people can relate to, you know, outside of the sports arena, because, you know, when you boil it down to its base level, it was about me having a goal that was really difficult and just breaking that down into smaller steps and working towards it until I achieved it. And that's really how I break down the book too. each chapter is meant to be You know, a step towards helping each person set their own goals, so they can um, you know come up with their own blueprint to achieve them.
1: So, um, how did the book you know come about? Was that something that you pursued, or did some did a publisher come to you and they found out about your story? Just how did how did the book get developed?
0: Sure, that's a great question. It was actually all my idea to write it, and then I later found a publisher for it. Um, And I really got the idea because. Uh, a good friend of mine who is younger named John Huff um, had the same exact dream as me. He wanted to be a walk-on at Georgia. And so John asked me a lot of questions about what the process was like to try out, who to talk to, what to be ready for, when, because there's some months where you need to be ready for practice. There's some months where you need to be ready for conditioning or workouts. And so coaching him through that process and seeing him fulfill his dream was just really rewarding to me um, to know that I helped someone. And so after that, I got the idea, um, to write this book because there have to be more people out there that could benefit from this same kind of, um, guidance that I gave John. And so from there I started writing it. And, um, after that found a publisher that, you know, really bought into the story. So I'm um, thankful for that. And, and I'm glad to you know, just be able to spread the word and, and hopefully help other people.
1: What was like the timetable for? It? Like, I mean, how long did it take for you know to get the book you know ready for it to come out? I mean, was this a, a process that took a couple of years or how long did it take?
0: It really took about a year, I would say. Um, it's it's probably possible to do it faster, but I was also working full time, and for part of that, I was uh, getting my MBA in the evenings as well. So there were some times <laughs> where I didn't really have time to work on it as much as I want. But I'd say about a year total. I really wanted to make sure that I took time to edit it um, and that I got everything right and that you know the the story was paced well and that it was it was written in a way that could really help the reader out because at the end of the day it's it's really kind of a call to action for the reader to think through some of their own goals and, and you know see see how this could help them achieve what they set out to do.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I'll say this the book has a good flow to it cuz you know I'm sitting here you know reading a book and it just you know almost I know the new chapter is coming, but it just flows well. It's like you like, jump into the next chapter, you know, very easy. It's a smooth transition. And something I enjoyed a lot with the book is that in each chapter, the part we put your turn, uh, what was kind of the motivation or the inspiration for that part of the book?
0: I would say that really stemmed from me wanting to go beyond just writing a sports story or a memoir. Um, it definitely is that, but at the end of the day, you know, the greatest compliment that I could get from this book is if somebody picked it up and read it and used these lessons in their own life. It could be in business, in a relationship, really any kind of goal, um, because I break it down in such a general way in terms of making sure that you set intermediate milestones along the way, coming up with different ways to overcome obstacles. Um, I mentioned at one point that sometimes you can't just keep doing the same thing harder and harder and go through an obstacle. Sometimes you have to take a step back, kind of reinvent yourself and your approach and find a way around it. So just really wanting this book to serve as kind of a toolkit to help people out in their own lives. And I thought the best way to do that was at the end of each chapter, just add in a section for how, what you've just read could apply to something outside of football.
1: Yeah. And lastly, before we jump into your journey, your story, uh going into it, developing the book, did you reach out to any of the authors? Did you, you know, get some help in that way, you know, figure out what to do since, you know, being your first book and all?
0: Sure, I did. Um, I had, uh, an old teammate, a good friend of mine, Craig Sager Jr. who had actually, mm-hmm. um, co-authored a book with his dad. And, uh, I talked with him some about that process, what it was like putting everything down on paper, um, how you really streamline it. And, and there was a lot that went into it. Um, You know, there were a lot of maybe stories or anecdotes that I personally might have wanted to include, but it didn't really add to the story or um, and so just making sure that I put in um, all the right content and and not too much so that it's bogging the reader down. But I I spoke with him about it and um, kind of leaned on his experience and that was really helpful.
1: Okay. Um now this is talk, you know, I guess go to the beginning. Um, where did, where did that passion for Georgia football and wanting to be part of the football team, where where did that originate from?
0: Well, it really came um from my family. Both my parents went to Georgia. Um, I grew up a big fan. That was the only school I applied to um to college. And so you know, every Saturday, it was just kind of a, a part of life that we in the fall. My dad and I would always watch the Georgia game. Um, we would go to several each year. And, and so, you know, the older I got, the more I thought about, man, it would be nice to be out there. And at the same time, the older I got, the more I realized that there was a, a huge gap between myself and, um, you know, even other talented players um, at my age, let alone the ones who were already in college playing for Georgia. And so, you know, basically, I had this tough goal, and I had to be willing to not let go of it, and and kind of continue to improve myself until I, you know, was at a level where I could make that happen.
1: Yeah, you uh, know, reading the book, uh, it was around age ten. You jumped in youth league, and then I, I noticed, you know, and it was a precursor for uh, somebody you was going to have. but There's going to be a frequent person we hear in the the book, uh, Coach Teresinski. I hope I said that right. Uh, just you know, talk about him. I mean, your relationship with him and uh, that in that early phase uh, when you first met him.
0: Sure. Um, well, I would. I, mean, I would really say that you know, meeting him for the first time was great because it, it was when I was ten years old. I was with my dad at a spring practice for Georgia. And he asked what position I played. I just started playing um, football, and, and I told him I was an offensive lineman, and he kind of coached me through some technique. And then um, to find out, you know, eight years later that he's actually in charge of the tryout program, um, you know, it was kind of a small world. And uh, and then, you know, to go talk with him and, and have everything go like it did where I was actually able to try out the first time was great. So. Um, It it was definitely good that, you know, that he ended up being the guy in charge of it because I had already known who he was. So it made it easier for me to try to find a way in because for the longest time when I wanted to play football for Georgia, I just had no idea how to make that happen. I mean, I didn't know if teams even had tryouts or who you needed to talk with. So, you know, finding out that it was him as someone I already knew and knew what building he worked in was really helpful
1: yeah, that was a, a big part of the book. I, I really enjoyed you know, talking about how you went about trying out for the football team because I'd always wondered exactly how that process worked. You, know, you hear about walk-ons all the time, but I wondered you know, how exactly do you do that? Do you just walk up and try out? So that was very interesting hearing how you went about doing that.
0: Yeah, and I would say that's very atypical um, because the vast majority of walk-ons – are recruited in high school and then if the team doesn't have extra scholarships they can offer a preferred walk-on spot which basically means you're guaranteed a spot on the team so that's how teams get like 90 of their walk-ons and then just a couple guys on the entire team are guys that showed up at a random tryout and went on to make the team and i've heard um a lot of differences between college programs like i saw a a program on YouTube that was talking about Vanderbilt's walk-on tryouts, and theirs was actually just one day, whereas Georgia's was spread out over the entire spring. So um, you really have to go in not knowing what to expect, and uh, other than knowing that they're only going to take very few guys, if any, out of that tryout group each year.
1: Yeah, um let me kind of take a step back, you know, and then just talk about, you know, growing up, you know, being a Georgia fan, you know, was. What, what players for you was did you look up to growing up at play for the Georgia Bulldogs?
0: That's a good question. Um, well you know I, as a kid in the, um, in the late 90s, I mean I really looked at um, Champ Bailey, uh, Robert Edwards, Hines Ward, um, you know those guys were really good players for Georgia with um, you know Champ Bailey playing both ways um, Heinz Ward was actually a quarterback receiver and running back kind of whatever we needed him to be. So I would say those are some guys that I really looked up to. And, um, and Mike Bobo was, you know, a quarterback that I liked a lot when I was a fan. And so for him to go on to be one of my coaches in the future, I thought was really cool as well.
1: Now, you know, reading a book you know, picked up on a part, you know, where you were you really good in wrestling, you know, high school. And I, I just kind of wondered the skill set of wrestling, uh, did that help you translate onto the football field any
0: um i would say somewhat it you know there's a little bit of crossover probably more so with being a lineman than it would be for a skill or big skill player but you things about like you know body position hand control things like that that helps. um but there's still two very different sports and wrestling if your technique is great you really don't need to be that fast at all however in football you need to be fast so there there's some ways that they overlap but there's some ways that they're very different
1: yeah so you know in you know but you say you know you were really good at that but uh just what made you not want to like go after that maybe in college and just do the you know play for the georgia bulldogs
0: sure i mean that's a good question um I would. It's a tough decision, but it really came down to the fact that I just love football and specifically Georgia football so much. And I really enjoyed wrestling, but I, I didn't grow up a huge wrestling fan. Um, and so, even though you know I was a, a lot more naturally gifted at that sport, football was just really. You know, what got me excited. I mean, I, I even love just watching as a fan, you know, back then and still to this day. So just just knowing that that's really what would mean so much to me um, really kind of helped guide me into making that decision that I was going to focus on football, even though I was way behind the eight ball in terms of, a you know, talent and skills point of view.
1: So um, so what was, you know, when you go into the, the first tryout, you know, the first year you're trying to, to make the Georgia football team, when you first went into that, was there a lot of uh, excitement nervousness just going through that whole process?
0: There really was. Um, I was so excited to be part of it. So excited that they even let me try out. I thought that might be kind of far fetched just because, I mean, I had zero highlight tape. So if they had ever asked me to turn in some highlights, I would have been right then and there in the trial process. Um, but yeah it was it was a combination of excitement but also I guess nervousness because I knew what I was up against um I mean like towards the end of when I was in high school I loved watching um you know Matthew Stafford and A.J. Green no Sean Marino guys like that play and then to be at practice alongside those guys was pretty crazy It, it was it's kind of stunning how much of a physical difference there was between even some of the best high school players I went up against and players at the college level. So it was both, you know, it was kind of a shock in all experience, I would say, but knowing that I needed to stay focused if I was going to have a chance at making the team.
1: Yeah, most definitely. I got to thank you for any incoming college freshman. That has got to be one of the most daunting, intimidating, and nervous, and all those (laughs) words things because, you know, if you grew up a fan and just, you know, the last season you saw these players on TV, so now when you're standing next to them, you know, you're within length of them. That has got to be an awesome feeling.
0: It really was. Um yeah, I mean, hard to even put it into words, and then later to actually like make the team and be along with some of those guys was was just amazing. And and I think that stems just from my love of the game as a fan, because you know there there's some guys that that play football that have watched it their whole lives, and there's some that are just really gifted at it and decide to give it a go in college. That you know maybe the the pageantry and tradition of SEC football you know doesn't quite resonate with them as much. Um, but to me, I mean, that was a huge part of it. Was just You know, I've been in that stadium, you know, a hundred times as a fan. And so to actually be in there as a player just meant that much more.
1: Yeah, and just talk about, you know, going out, you know, initially you're trying out for linebacker. Just talk about what kind of drills and what they put you through there in those tryouts at a linebacker position.
0: Well, I would say as a linebacker, it, it was tough because you have to be pretty quick in order to play linebacker. And um, and I'm not quick, actually. So <laughs> basically, it, it came down to trying to trying to do the same drills that I'd done in high school. So I, there was a level of familiarity there, but just at a much more physical and faster level. Um, so that was tough to keep up with. There were guys like um, Rennie Curran, Akeem Dent, um, or guys like Justin Houston, who's now in, you know still in the NFL. Um, that when you're trying to go in a drill even if it's not one-on-one but you're in the same group as them you know i look significantly slower doing everything so i would say it was tough to keep up but um a lot of the guys that were you know some of the starters on the team were really helpful because they would actually help coach me through drills or help teach me the playbook quickly so having people to learn from was um you know was really helpful in getting up to speed
1: Yeah, and I think a key factor, you know, reading is also, you know, just you have to make your mind up that that's what you want to do in anything in life. I mean, you know, me wanting to be a sports talk radio host, wanting to be a podcaster, you know, you want to make the Georgia football team. So, like, just the mindset has to go into that. Just talk about that, you know, when you know you have to be dedicated to this, this is something that you really got to follow through.
0: You're exactly right. Um and you have to be willing to follow through despite circumstances being tough around you. So you could take any goal, whether it was mine or, um, you know, your goal about, um, you know, being a sports talk host or, or anything else, you know, if, if it's in goal goal, are going to be some obstacles and some rejection along the way. And so if you're truly serious about starting this goal, you need to really, set milestones um, and and set thing, tasks for you to handle each and every day that are going to get you closer to that. And none of it needs to be rocket science. For me, I boiled it down to I need to be eating as much healthy food as possible to gain weight. I need to be doing, you know, conditioning and position specific drills on the field. And then I need to be working out in the weight room. And so when you boil it down to, you know, just a couple things that you can continue to do and be productive with each day, that will close the gap between you and your goal, well, that'll make it easier. And then when you do hit obstacles, you have to be creative in order to work around those. So, you know, that really transcends football and applies to a lot of other areas. But that was probably my biggest takeaway, just from my experience, was just being able to make sure that you're consistently doing the right things each day. Even though you may not see progress, you may look back six months or a year later and realize how far you've come.
1: Now, after the second tryout... uh you go to the third, the third attempt. Uh, what was the whole motivation and the decision-making that you said, I have to switch from linebacker to defensive end if I'm going to make it?
0: Sure. It was basically through me just taking a step back and, and having an honest assessment of where I was. Um, I had made a lot of progress at that point, which – you know made it really hurt that I got cut the second time, but at the same time, I really didn't have the necessary speed and quickness to play linebacker. Um, however, I was finding that through my um, my meal plan and through my workouts that I was able to continue to gain weight. So, you know, just looking at it, even though I had never played defensive end at any level before, I thought it might be a good fit for me because it could help mask my speed deficiency and I could continue to get bigger and stronger, which might, you know, close that gap. And then um on top of that, we later switched to a 3-4 defense which requires guys to be even bigger and not necessarily as fast, which also meant that there was going to be uh fewer competition for those walk-on spots there. So You know, it was really kind of a perfect situation in a lot of different areas. And um, I think that kind of reevaluating that and being willing to let go of playing a familiar position and switch to something new kind of made all the difference in me achieving my goal.
1: Um, Talk about a couple coaches you had along the way. First, uh, your position coach, Rodney Gardner, who is was regarded all the time as one of the best coaches in college football. Uh, Just talk about uh, your experiences with him and what you learned from him.
0: Sure. Um, yeah, I love coach Garner or coach G as we call him. I mean, he was very intense on the practice field. He expected everybody to pay attention and do it right. Um, and then off the field, he was really like, you know, like, like a father figure to his players. He cares about each and every guy both on and off the field. Um, you know, I learned a lot from him. Um, things like, just the way that he would treat every single player the same. Um, Like when you're doing drills, he would study and critique, you know, all the way down to the last string walk-on on on the team just as much as he would a starter. And I think that says a lot about how he um, cares about his players. So I really enjoyed being part of his defense. There were a lot of intricacies to running the 3-4 that I thought were really exciting. And um, you're really thankful that he was my position coach and, you know, that he decided to put me in the game. Um, against New Mexico
1: State my senior year. Another coach I want to ask you about is a defense coordinator, Ty Grantham, who's been all over, you know, SEC, different spots, Mississippi State, now Florida, one of the best defense coordinators. Wherever he goes, defenses are fantastic. Just uh, talk about him a little bit. What, what was his style like? What was it like playing for him?
0: It was great. Um, I really liked his defense, and that kind of ties in um, to what I was saying about the 3-4. That was Coach Garner. Or Coach Garner stayed on at Georgia um, after we changed our defense, but it was Coach Grantham who brought the 3-4 to Georgia. And it was really an exciting defense to be part of. They had a lot of exotic blitzes that um, took some time for the defense to really learn, but once we learned them, they were just very effective. There was this one play called Alabama. Where we would send uh, two guys up the a gaps and then a safety right down the center's head. So unless offensive linemen are really shifting far over, it should be just about impossible to block. And I see his teams run it, you know, once every few games, and it almost always gets a stack. And you know, and now being on the opposite side with him coaching in Florida, that'll be a, a scary thing to see him calling that one. But he's had a lot of success in a lot of different schools, and I think it's because he's just got such a great system. That he can put it in anywhere, and that he recruits the athletes for that system. So um, it's definitely an exciting defense. It, it's different, and it it makes you think a lot because there are a lot of different um, checks and formations that that may get a little more complex than just a standard base four three defense.
1: Yeah, and finally, on you know, as coaches, I want to ask you about uh, Mart Rick. You know, I always see, I've never seen a former player from Georgia have a bad thing to say about him. He, you know, and I just he seems like one of the great, you know, genuine one guys, me talking just, for, you know, from the fan standpoint. But for you, what, what did uh, Mark Rick mean to you?
0: Well, yeah, you're right. He really was just an amazing coach and an amazing guy. Um, truly cares about every single one of his players. Um, he brought something called Character Ed that we would do every single week, which is just talking about outside of football, different life situations with coaches And he wants to make sure that he's developing um, everyone on his team, you know, both mentally, physically and spiritually. And um, so being a part of his team was great. You know, he really elevated the level of success that Georgia football had had. Um, You know, at one point, Georgia had gone 20 years without winning an SEC championship, which is, you know, a really long time. And then he won two of them in a four-year period and uh, had a couple other close calls as well and nearly missed out on – Chance to play for a national championship a couple times, so I think he really elevated Georgia um, both on and off the field. Just a, you know, a great guy, great ambassador for the school, um, great recruiter, and then you know brought a lot of good success to Georgia, and, and that's being continued by Kirby Smart today. I think you you know everyone can see that Kirby is an amazing coach and um, doing a great job, and he really inherited kind of a turnkey operation from Coach Rick. He wasn't having to turn around you know like a, a disaster of a team kind of like dan mullen took over a four-win florida team and and um you know had to rebuild from that i mean kirby was taking over a, a 10 win back-to-back 10 win season georgia team so i think he left georgia in a way better place than he found it and i i'm really thankful to you know have had the chance to play for him
1: so uh, let's go back 2011 season uh 2010 season you know you didn't see any game action. Uh, 2011, the New Mexico State game. Uh, get your number called. You're, you're going out there on the field. Just, just talk about that moment. I mean, just. I mean, I know you're. You know, you got to focus because you're. You know, you're in a game. But just take a few seconds. You know, to kind of. You know, really bring it all in. You know, think about. You know, hey, I'm I'm getting in the game. You know, my goal is being achieved here.
0: Yeah, it was. It definitely was like an overwhelming but amazing moment, and I, I kind of knew that it was basically now or never because at that point in the season, um, New Mexico State was the last non-power five team that we were playing that year, so that was probably going to be my last chance to get into a game. And so, two days before that game, I went into Coach Garner's office and told him that you know if we get a big lead on Saturday, I'd really like to play in this game, and. Um, you know, he said he'd see what he could do. and Thankfully, the starters played really well and got us a big lead. So, um, you know, midway through the fourth quarter, um, Coach Garner sent a graduate assistant over to tell me to start stretching so that I could uh, get loose again because I've been just standing on the sideline for about three hours at this point since we finished <laughs> warm-ups. So that was really exciting. Um, you know, immediately I turned around and waved uh, to my parents and friends who were already standing like at the front row 50 yard line because the stadium had started to empty out some cause we were up by, um, 53 points at that time. So it, it was cool that I kind of mentally got a heads up for a few minutes because I knew the significance of that moment, how much it would mean that day and for the rest of my life. And I wanted to just kind of make sure that I was in the zone, focusing on the call and executing it correctly when I did go in. So got to go in for those two plays and was really thankful for that. And, uh, Executed everything properly. Didn't have the chance to make a tackle or anything, but it was definitely just such a surreal experience because you know I'd been practicing for years and years, and then all of a sudden, bam! Here's your one opportunity to play, and so it it was both overwhelming, but at the same time, in the moment, I had to kind of just put the, put the you know the excitement of that moment kind of out of the back of my mind for a second and just focus on doing my job each play.
1: Yeah. Uh, after the game, I just, you know, I was curious, you know, what kind of reaction did you get from family and friends and even teammates uh, when you had that moment?
0: Well, I mean, it, it was, I was really excited. There were a lot of other walk-ons that really have similar or almost the exact same story that I do. that were really excited for me, um, you know, and, and some of them that got the same chance that day uh, that I did and got to play as well. So, it, it was really exciting i remember seeing my family after that game and we all went to um, have a big lunch and it was just kind of you know knowing that i'd reached um like the pinnacle of my goal i mean i wanted to not just make the team but i wanted to play for georgia and so since i got to do it that day it was just it was just such an exciting experience and i knew that was you know always going to mean a lot to me
1: i'll talk about I me and i know obviously it didn't end the way you, you would have liked, but getting the opportunity, you know, the team making it to Atlanta for the SEC Championship game, your final season there, just uh what's that whole experience like going into that and just the build up and then the excitement inside, at the time it was the Georgia Dome for the SEC Championship
0: Yeah, it was I mean I was so excited. So I had actually never dressed out for an out-of-town game before other than bowl games where they're allowed to bring the entire team. Um, so before that, only dressed out for you know home games and the one bowl game. But um, I was thrilled to even just be able to go. And then beyond that, for the circumstances to be what they were, I mean, we were facing undefeated number one LSU who had – you know, Tyron Matthew on defense. And, uh, so we were really excited for that challenge. Not many people outside the program gave us much of a shot. And, um, it was, it was such an interesting game because we came in with really the perfect defensive game plan. Um, LSU didn't even get their first down until midway through the third quarter of that game. They, um, they ended up with only 53 yards passing. We still gained them, but, um, unfortunately in the second half, we gave up. Um, 21 points off of turnovers and then also in that game we gave up 14 points off of punt returns and so when you give up you know 35 points that your defense isn't responsible it's hard to win the game but it's still nonetheless it was just an amazing experience being there knowing that there was a championship on the line Um, and so that's that's definitely something that I was hoping to get the chance to and the fact that we broke through like that my senior year winning 10 games in a row to get there was just really exciting
1: yeah and then of course you know fortunately you guys you know did lose in the bowl game to michigan state but you know I, you know after your time with georgia's done you know your playing days are done uh just what kind of reflecting did you do and just how, what was your feeling when you know the season was over and uh, you had to move on
0: well i would say you know i i basically just felt like i had done everything that i set out to do so you know there's some people that say, well, do you wish you could still go back out there? And, you know, sure, that was always really fun. But I felt like, you know, with the four and a half years that I was in college, that I really made the most out of every single second of it. So I really felt happy at the end. I felt like I'd pushed myself to the absolute max and done everything that I could to, um, you know, help the team out. And so, you know, win or lose at the end of it, I felt great about what I'd done. and, And thankful that I got to Be part of such a great season because I mean my first season on the team we uh, went six and seven, and that's still to this day the only season since '96 that Georgia has not won eight games. So I mean, you know, it could have ended on such a disappointing note. But then my senior season for us to go out and you know at least win ten games, win the East, and get a chance to play for the SEC championship was just such a better way to to go out. So I I was really thankful for how everything went, even though uh, we did lose a few games at the end there.
1: So uh, what was next? What was uh what was life like after football?
0: Well, I mean, I would say it's it, it was great. I had to take that same kind of dedication that I had and apply it to um, you know, th- to my career afterwards. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, football or or something that I had like grown up watching all the time, but just knowing that there were a lot of lessons that I learned in that that I I could apply, you know, today towards my business career. Um, it, it, you know, I, I really I really thought there was a lot of carryover and a lot of things that made me a better person going through that experience.
1: Yeah, you know, that's one thing I always say, and that's why I love sports. I think sports is a great thing, especially team sports, you know, mainly to help work together. And, you know, when you do, you know. Can no longer play. it I think it really does help help you in the uh, in the job environment, being able to work with others and obtain. Because you know when you go to a job, you're with, you're with a team there, and there is a goal you want to obtain. So I think that's a big thing sports can help when anybody uh, is down the road in the future with when you are in the work work environment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that's something that I still take with me. Kind of similar to how I had to step back and rethink things and change positions to defensive end. There have definitely been projects at work where you know maybe a certain um, task was always done one way, and then that's kind of causing problems or eventually doesn't help the company anymore. And so you have to be willing to step back and, and put on a different lens and approach it differently. So there, there are a lot of ways that those exact same lessons still apply to me today, and, and that's why I think that people reading this will find ways to apply it directly to their own life.
1: Yeah, and uh, finally, uh, anybody out there listening wants to check out the book, want to purchase a copy, uh, how can they do so?
0: Sure. Well, um, they can go on Amazon to buy it, or they can um, just go to my website. It's com, and uh, the link is posted on there as well. So, we've got it in um, Kindle, paperback, and hardcover. So, whichever kind you like, we'll have it.
1: All right, That's awesome. And uh, Candler, I appreciate you taking the time out. Went longer than I, I told you we would but uh, i appreciate you taking the time talking about it. there was a lot of stuff i did not ask about uh, that was in the book because hey i want to help you know help i don't you know I don't, I don't just spoil everybody just give them a little taste so i make sure they uh go out and get the book but yeah i have uh, appreciated this conversation uh, you coming on and talking about your journey in the book and what you're up to now see so, yeah, i really appreciate you taking the time
0: yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Um, uh, you know, excited to get the chance to talk about it, and um, yeah, hope everybody else out there enjoys the book.
1: Right, and I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Candler Cook. And like I said, uh, I have the link where you can go get the book uh, down in the description on whichever podcast app or application you're using this for, and of course on the Facebook page, and the Twitter account, and on Instagram. I'm also leaving the link so. You- Please go check that book out. It's a fantastic read. It's worth your money. Trust me. It is worth your money to, to read this book. And like I said in the open, it's not just for people who are football fans. Just if you have goals and dreams in life. And it's a great motivational, inspirational book, I think, as well. So I really appreciate if you guys go check that out. Uh, real quickly before jumping to AAF, week seven. The season has fallen by, Really? On Thursday show, I'm going to be joined by Gator Dave, David Waters from the Gators Breakdown Podcast. He will be on the show. We're going to talk some Florida Gators football. I'm trying to work on a second guest for Thursday's show, but as far as now, now I know we have uh, Gator Dave. Dave is going to be on the show to talk Florida football, so that should be a lot of fun on Thursday. But anyways, uh, week seven in the Alliance of American Football that are in the book uh, Orlando kind of kicked the week off. Well, they did kick the week off. I think kind of they did. Uh, by beating Atlanta 36-6, so Orlando improves to 6-1. and Atlanta drops to 2-5. and So now Atlanta, you pretty much got to win out if you want any shot to the playoffs. Um, Orlando, just typical. They got back to their ways. You know, they struggled a little bit offensively against Arizona in the previous week when they got their undefeated uh, streak snapped. Uh, Garrett Gilbert was flawless almost. You know, he really just control of the offense offense moved up and down the field on atlanta this was the fastest game in the league's history uh two hours and 15 minutes long which of course that's what charlie ebersol has talked about from the beginning their games will go by faster than they do and i love the pacing of the games in uh the alliance but uh interceptions the thing with atlanta i've noticed all year they moved the ball on pretty much everybody play. you know early in year it was they were getting the ready on couldn't score or they're just kicking field goals And interceptions has been a big deal for this team, too. 12 combined interceptions between Aaron Murray and Matt Sims. I think Aaron Murray is the better quarterback, especially for this team. But uh, he's thrown interceptions six so far this year. I think, what, five in the last two weeks. And uh, a couple of those have been returned for touchdowns. So not only is he throwing interceptions, they're becoming momentum plays for the other team. He did it against Orlando Saturday, and he did it against San Antonio the week before that. So Tough loss for Atlanta. They moved the ball well, especially in the first half, like I said, and they did pull uh, Aaron Murray in the second half toward the end, put Matt Sims in. They play at Birmingham this Sunday. I'll be interested to see who is going to be quarterback. I'm probably going to be at that game this Sunday. Uh, So we'll see who gets the nod there. But Orlando continues their winning ways. Uh, They have Memphis next. We'll talk about Memphis a little bit toward the end here san antonio salt lake that was a saturday night game that was a fun game to watch defensive game both defenses were all over the place a lot of hitting big time hits in that game san antonio did come away with a 19 to 15 victory uh four straight wins for san antonio you know they spent like three weeks on the road consecutive now they're at home they have two of their last three at home arizona memphis and they have to go at salt lake to end the season uh, attendance record for the league this weekend in San Antonio with over 30,000, the first team to hit that mark. Maybe that's a big reason why they moved the championship game to Texas because they think San Antonio's got a good shot of getting there and uh, they're, they will bring a lot of their crowd there. That stadium is Frisco, I believe. Only holds twelve thousand, so they sh- should have a full house, a packed out house for that game as well. as owned by Jerry Jones, which is the most important part of that development. Is a partnership once again with someone within the NFL with Jerry Jones. And if you want to get involved with an owner in the NFL, that's the one you want to get involved with. But yeah, San Antonio improves to five and two. Salt Lake drops to two and five. Again, kind of like we talk about what Atlanta, Salt lake's going to win out. Their situation is a little bit tighter. They're two games back from second place. Top two teams in each division will go to uh, the playoff. Arizona defeated San Diego on Sunday, uh, 32 to 15. This was actually a lot closer than that score would seem. Uh, it was 23 15 midway through the. Third quarter early on, San Diego got a break with a fumble on a punt. They scored a touchdown. It was a pretty even first half between the two teams. John Wolford of Arizona was pretty good in this game. I think Arizona has gotten their drive back. First couple weeks, they looked really good. Then Wolford got hurt. His back was hurt, uh, got injured. And even though he was still playing, you could tell the Arizona offense was not the same as they once were to start the first two games of the season. He looks like he's gotten healthy now. And they're playing really well. San Antonio, Arizona is going to be interesting development there in the West. Who's going to come out there? It's pretty much everybody's going to believe Orlando would beat, more more likely would be Birmingham come in the playoffs, be the second spot there. Most people can going to believe Orlando would handle them. Orlando would get to the championship game. The West is very interesting there because San Diego is three and four. They're a game behind Arizona for second place. And they do play each other. I think the last game, second it right here between Arizona and San Diego. Yeah, they play at San Diego the final week of the season, so that very well could be for the final playoff spot there, too, because San Diego plays well as just interceptions, mistakes, usually always winds up getting in, especially against the better teams in the league. They do have Salt Lake next. They should win that. The Orlando game is going to be interesting if they could pull off an upset there. That would be big. I do think they're capable of it if they can stay away from the mistakes, and then, like I said, they finish with... Arizona. The final game of the weekend was Memphis and Birmingham. We got our first overtime game. Interesting way the Alliance does overtime. Both teams get possession. You get on the 10-yard line. Basically, you got four plays. You score. You got to go for two. There's no field goal kicking here. So, Birmingham got it first. They couldn't get it in. Four plays and out. Memphis comes in. Two plays. Scores touchdown. Is over with. They win the game 31-25. You could end in a tie. If neither team scores, which course, obviously in the playoffs and the championship game, you would keep going. The, the storyline of this game, one, i got to guess that it is to Lewis Perez. Since he got benched and did not start last week and he came in, he's played well. He played well against San Diego. through three touchdowns last week. He did throw a few interceptions. No interceptions this time around. He played well in this game. Uh, did not make the throws in the fourth quarter. He needed to, do, to really seal the deal for Birmingham. But it was the quarterback situation on the other side that was the story. And that was the Johnny Menzel-Brandon Silvers situation. Now, look, I'm here to say Alabama, I've seen Brandon Silvers play a lot of football. And he played well last week in the loss against Salt Lake. Didn't score a lot of touchdowns, but he moved the team well, and they just bogged down. Then, this week, he played well. He led them to the victory. Johnny Menzel got in here and there. But Brandon Silvers was the guy that led them the last three possessions to win the football game. But we know how this game's going to play. Johnny Manziel is going to be the starting quarterback for Memphis. I wouldn't be shocked if he's starting for them next week. I think it's hard to bench Brandon Silvers when he's not done anything to bench him for. I know it's probably not hard anybody listening to watch this Canadian football. But when Johnny Manziel was Hamilton, that was the deal. Y'all said he's going to be going to quarterback. Jeremiah Masoli outplayed him, and he never gave him the job because he didn't play bad enough to give him the job. And then Montreal was just their dumpster fire. But that's gonna be interesting coming up. They have to play Orlando next. Do you throw Manziel against Orlando? And is Manziel looking at this deal like, okay, I will come in a few games, learn what's going on, I'll come back next year in the Alliance and play then? Or is he looking? These are just three or four games of a sample size for me to show the NFL to get back in there, or for me to maybe jump to the XFL next year? That's something I'm very interested to see what happens uh, with Manziel going forward here with Memphis and the Alliance. Now my power rankings for this week of the alliance and i may i'm trying to get a website going so i may use this as the first post there too so you can i'll go more in depth in the article but number one i got orlando there's there but i don't think they're in a trench that number one is close as far ahead as everybody else they were a couple weeks ago uh, number two i got san antonio they're playing really well like i said four straight victories arizona's playing well two in a row they're right behind San Antonio. Those two play each other this weekend also. Big game for in the West. Number four is Birmingham. I go five, San Diego. They're right there behind Arizona, three and four. They're still in this thing. Uh, Salt Lake, Memphis, and Atlanta, those last three, I just kind of – I think they're all around the same quality. So, uh, you know, it, it's going to be interesting last three weeks for the Alliance of American Football, see who does make it to the playoffs. All right, guys, quickly – Um, oh. And one more thing, uh, kind of related to the Alliance, uh, let me turn the paper here, turn the page on the notes. So the NFL looks like they are trying to change lots of kickoff. You know, the Alliance, you don't have the kickoff, just punch the field goals. I do think the NFL is going to head that direction eventually. I mean, how often do you actually see a return anyways? But it looks like the NFL may be adapting the alliance rule on the onside conversion. Now, the NFL has voted on a 4th and 15. The alliance is a 4th and twelve. Everyone on the comp- competition committee, is they are in favor of this change, except for John Marr, who is the owner of the New York Giants. The New York Giants have been making a lot of good decisions lately. Anyways, you get rid of your best receiver, franchise-changing receiver, Odell Beckham. Landon Collins, a top-notch young defensive back, you let him walk. But you keep Eli Manning, who's obviously over the hill. But anyways. Now. They have said they're in favor of it. Seven of the eight. But what it comes down to now is the owners. 24 of the 32 owners had to vote on it. And I was reading some stuff today. And it did say usually if the competition committee is for it. Usually the owners will be. But how many old school owners will they be that think this is a gimmick? They don't. You know. Mara had this comment. That "says said what are we the arena football league? But. This is the direction you're going in. The kickoff is going to be eliminated football eventually altogether. Uh, NFL college, high school. And this is just a step in that direction, I think. Uh, Gronk is retiring. That's right. He announced his retirement on Sunday uh, via his Instagram account. Um, wow, well, he's only 29 years old, but you can tell he has slowed down the last year or two. I mean, he still has these performances here and there. He's consistently being dominant on the field week in and week out. He's just not there anymore. Obviously, this is going to leave a big hole on offense for the Patriots to fill. But who out there doesn't have confidence? Belichick's not going to figure out a way to get it, make it work and find another tight end. Now, he was great against the Chiefs. They couldn't cover him. But I think one of the big things New England will miss about him, because a lot of times, especially this year when they went to more of a power running game because they knew that that's who this team had to be this previous season, is um, uh, sorry I was with the, the voice kind of fighting off allergies in the cold right now but his blocking is fantastic he's like another offense alignment with that power run game that the Patriots like to use so I think that will be I think you can find another tight end to put up yards you can get a collection of them to, you know they'll figure that out with running backs receivers other tight ends his production will be filled I believe His blocking is what is unique about him and what he was able to there. Like I said, being like almost a second offensive lineman. Not second, but a sixth offensive lineman for them. Really great in the the blocking game, the running game, and in pass game when he's not going out for a pass, when he is the number one target. Like I said, he's age 29. He was a second-round pick in 2010 in the NFL draft. He's a three-time Super Bowl champion. And I was thinking about this before I did the show. He very well could be four. Because I don't know if like you remember, the two thousand eleven season the Patriots played the Giants again and they got beat by the Giants. But in that game, Gronkowski was not healthy. He had injured his ankle against the Ravens in the AFC Championship game. The Patriots offense was good that game. Tom Brady was good, but they weren't up to the level that they usually were that season. And you gotta wonder if Gronk had been one hundred percent healthy, would they have won that game and he'd have four Super Bowls, and Brady would now have seven a five-time pro bowler, only tied in to lead NFL in touchdowns. He had 17 in 2011, uh, 521 receptions uh, 7,861 yards, 79 touchdowns. So, he's a character and he's going to be missed up. Uh, oh know he did that wrestling thing at WrestleMania a few years ago. I don't know if he's going to try to do that, which I still all his injuries and back injuries, I don't think that would be the brightest decision for him and there's also been talking of him maybe getting into movies acting stuff like that I, I have a feeling we have not heard the last of, of Rob Gronkowski maybe on the football field but uh, as an entertainer uh, I don't think we have it all so question for on the Facebook page going right now is who's the better coach Nick Saban Bill Belichick I thought about this because this past week at Alabama Pro Day you saw Belichick and Saban there together Belichick even had an Alabama shirt on You know, those two are buddies. Nick Saban was defensive backs coach for Belichick when Belichick coached the Browns back in the mid-90s. So I thought, okay, who who do you think is better? And that's pretty interesting. Uh, Because, of course, Nick Saban had the two years with the Dolphins. But, you know, he's known as the college coach, the greatest of all time, Belichick, greatest NFL of all time. So I wanted to see what you guys thought on Facebook about who is the best coach of the two. Um, So I just tallied the votes just now. Uh, Saban got nine, Belichick got five, and had one was even. I'm going to read some interesting comments uh, some people had uh, on the Facebook page as well. Just a second. I should have known Saban was going to win this because predominantly my audience is college football fans and in the state Alabama, row tied. Uh, So I kind of should have known that Saban would win that one. But uh it was still interesting. So interesting what people think. I think Belichick look, Saban gets you know, five star recruits. He has the best players, most talented team every single year. He should be in competition for a title every single year. Belichick on the other hand, you know, just got talking about Gronk. I mean, he's gonna be a Hall of Famer, no doubt. Tom Brady is. And there's a handful of guys, but it's not like a lot of teams that had runs in NFL through a decade or two, like the Cowboys, the Steelers, um, the Raiders back in the day, uh, 49ers. They had multiple, a lot of guys made Hall of Fame. You're not really going to see that with New England. Uh, Belichick just has a way of finding players that fit his system. They may not be the greatest players anywhere else, but he knows how to make them fit his system. He can go find guys that maybe are not the greatest athletes. It's not, for Belichick to be like Saban, it would be like if Belichick had nothing but first-round picks on his roster. The entire roster is nothing but number-one picks, that's basically what Saban has with all these five stars and four stars, of course. So that's why I think Belichick is the better coach because he can, he wins with less. Yes, I know he's got Brady, but outside of that, he's able to find talent where others can't find it. Like I said, Saban, he's just the best recruiter. And that's another thing I will say. I think Belichick is a better in-game coach than Nick Saban. Nick Saban is a great motivator. He's a great teacher. I think he's probably great in practice, and obviously he's the best recruiter of all time. But I don't think Nick Saban is the best in-game coach out there. I think there's college football coaches that are better at that than he is. It's just he's got the most talented roster whenever he goes up against you, against everybody. Just look at the national championship game. I I didn't really see Nick Saban make any adjustments there. He didn't, and, you know, Clemson kept doing what they were doing. Because their talent level, there's not a part of Alabama, but it's close enough. And I think Dabo Sweeney may be a better in-game coach than Nick Saban. I probably just about got a lot of hate and probably lost a whole lot of listeners by saying that. But that's my thoughts. I think Belichick is better in-game and he's better at finding guys that just fit his system and uh, coaching them up and fitting holes in his team like I think he will do with the loss of Gronk. Now couple comments, and I'm going to close it down because we're getting close to probably 50 minutes. May have passed it by now. Let's see. You know, I had a couple of interesting comments. A lot of people just put one-word comments, obviously. Uh, Tony Reader said, Having never seen Bill Belichick coach at the college level, I can't make a comparison. That's fair. I understand that. Uh, tr- Charles Bender Belichick, he doesn't have a bunch of Division One prospects on his roster. <laughs> I had Seth Brooks put parcels, which makes sense. Parcells right-hand man was Belichick and Belichick had Nick Saban on his staff so it's all connected. Um, Someone goes, remember the Dolphins? He had to bring that up. Um, Jason Wood said, tough to compare because of the different levels they coach at. Obviously they are both the best at their respective level. I've never thought of Saban as a really great strategist though he's a great program builder a great recruiter motivator and all that but his in-game coaching is not always impressive he should win all those games with the talent he accumulates belichick however has proven time and again to be a great game planner and in-game strategist something i just said he has also often done it with players you wouldn't consider five-star guys we've also seen Saban in the nfl was pretty average so all in all i say belichick Thank you, Jason. That was, that was really, really great and insightful, uh, that comment there. Uh, now, David Mitchell said, Both are the GOATs of their respective level. I do know Saban has beaten Belichick in NFL. Belichick has beaten Saban in NFL. Too close to call for me. I do know if you play their team, you have an extremely great chance of getting your, your butt whooped up and down the field. So I appreciate you guys. I'm going to leave that up and kind of see where we're at on Thursday. Um, leave that post up there. See what uh, you guys think. See if any more opinions get added to it. But that's where we're standing now. Uh, Saban 9, Belichick 5 so far. All right, guys. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. Once again, I appreciate uh, Candler Cut for coming on talking about his book. From Underdog to Bulldog, and on Thursday, be joined by uh, David Waters from Gators Breakdown. Talk Florida football, and I'll preview week 8 of the AAF and talk about any news that's happening in college and professional football as well, and trying to work on a second guest for that show as well. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I just changed my Twitter handle to, it is f- Cover2PJ. That's how you find me on Twitter. You find me on Facebook. Just look up the cover to football podcast. Very easy to find. There's an Instagram account too. Uh, you can also follow my personal Instagram. Uh, just Philip Jordan Media. Look that up. Uh, check out all my work on last word and college football. Should have something coming up this week on that. Looking at who are going to be the playmakers for the Auburn Tigers. So I have a new article soon with that. And uh, find a podcast. Apple Podcasts. Google Play Music. SoundCloud. Spotify. TuneIn. Spreaker uh and youtube and if you're on our podcast please subscribe rate and review the show leave a review i will read it on a future edition of the show if you have a question for the show hit me up on any of social media that i just mentioned or you can send me an email at uh sportstalkphilipjordan at gmail.com anyways guys thanks again for checking out the show today and uh until next time bye bye
0: Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 with Philip Jordan. Tune in next week for more great college and professional football talk. And subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.